Welcome to the Go and Teach Bible Study program presented by the Monta Vista Church of Christ in Phoenix, Arizona. We want to thank you for joining us today as we examine the truth of God's Word and the answers it holds to life's most important questions. If you have questions about this lesson or would like to study further, please contact us at montavistacoc.com. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word together. Thank you so much for joining me on the Go and Teach radio program. My name is Ryan Goodwin. I preach for the Monta Vista Church of Christ here in Phoenix, Arizona. If there's anything at all that we talk about today that you'd like to talk about further in person, then please reach out to our congregation, and we would love to sit down and open up our Bibles together and simply talk about the Word of God. Now, as we begin the new year, let's talk about salvation. The controversy over how we are saved has been a hard-fought battle for a long time. According to one writer, an article called Salvation by Grace, Faith, and Works, he has this to say, The Universalist teaches that man is saved by grace only. The Calvinist teaches that man is saved by faith only. And the Catholic teaches that man is saved by works. But I wonder, what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that man is saved by God's grace, with man appropriating that grace by his faith in working or obeying what the grace of God teaches him to do to be saved. God's purpose for mankind, after all, is to be saved, and to be saved by his grace through the working of his faith. When we reject this plain teaching, we engulf ourselves in the mire of forcing our own ideas on Bible verses that might actually teach the exact opposite. One of the really unfortunate things that I notice as I talk to people about salvation is that there's always a Bible verse that can be lifted out of its context, or even several Bible verses, that if somebody wanted the Bible to say what they wanted to say, they can take a Bible verse out of its context and twist it around or flip it upside down or, or divorce it from the rest of the passage. And that's unfortunate because somebody could take a passage out of its context and argue that we're saved by our own works, that we can earn our way into salvation. While somebody else could say with their own set of Bible verses that we're saved by faith alone. And that there's nothing that we can do, no work of ours that has any part in the process of salvation. That faith and works are completely divorced from each other. And somebody else might be able to take another verse and flip it upside down and say that grace alone, that it's not even our faith, but it is simply God's sovereign choice who is saved and who is not. And I just find it a shame to see so many good-intentioned people who take verses on faith on grace and works and force them to mean something that the context would not indicate. Now, take Martin Luther, for example, and and nobody would doubt Martin Luther's good intentions. But Martin Luther, in his own translation of the New Testament, decided, without any evidence in the Greek text, by the way, to support this, but he decided to add the word only to Romans 3, verse 28, so that the text reads, A man is justified by faith only apart from works. 
Now, that was Martin Luther's choice. He took a Bible verse that said a man is justified by faith apart from works, and he added a word. He commentated on that verse and inserted his own meaning into it. And the person who argues faith only has a lot of explaining to do. For there are more scriptures that teach the Christian about righteous living, or moral decisiveness, or rejection of impurity, or justification by good works, and other things relating to our own activities. There are more verses about that than there are about faith. After all, the faith-only crowd ignores that there is at least one thing that's required of us even more than faith. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2 says, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. Verse 13 says of the same chapter, But now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So I wonder, if you're of the mindset where you're arguing that man is saved by faith alone, what do you do with that verse? What really does save us? Because if faith alone saves us, then what part does love play? The writer himself says that love is even greater than faith. And if you don't have love, but you have all the faith in the world so as to pick up a mountain and move it, that faith doesn't save you. That faith means nothing. So again, you you can take a single statement or a single verse out of context and make it say something. But until you put it in the rest of the mosaic of the Bible, until you see that verse as a part of the whole well, then you're really missing the point of the Bible. What's so marvelous about the gospel is that it teaches so plainly that love, faith, works, grace, all of these concepts work together for our salvation, not independently or individually. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Again, that's 1 John 3, 23 and 24. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Look at that again. This is his commandment? And he goes on to say, and the ones who keep his commandments abide in him. The ones who keep his commandments abide in him. You have in two verses in 1 John chapter 3, You have belief in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. You have a command to love one another, and you have it even stated as a command. The ones who keep his commandments abide in him, and he in him. And we know that by this, that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. You have keeping commandments. You have loving one another. You have believing in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And the apostle John didn't see any conflict between belief keeping commandments, and love. There was no distinction made between the necessity of faith, love, and works. Obedience to the commandments of God allows us to abide in him. And how can we abide in Christ if we have faith only exclusive of our obedience to the commandments of God? Luke chapter 7, verses 29 and 30 brings out a really good point. Now, I will keep this in its context, so I'll follow my own rule here. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is talking about baptism by the baptism of John, as in John the Baptist ordered a baptism for repentance from works to prepare people's hearts for the coming of the Messiah. So this is a baptism of John, not 
New Covenant baptism. This isn't Acts chapter 2 baptism here. But I think there's still a great point to be made here about motive. In Luke chapter 7, verses 29 and 30, when all the people and the tax gatherers heard this, they acknowledged God's justice, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. These Pharisees and the scribes rejected the baptism of John, even though it was required of them by God through the preaching of John the Baptist. Now, in the same way, people today reject various aspects of the gospel, whether it be belief or baptism, whether it be repentance or confession. People today reject God's purpose for themselves by isolating certain aspects of the gospel, by excluding various aspects of the gospel. And if you say that we're saved by faith alone, apart from anything that we do, such as repentance, confession, or baptism, then you're rejecting God's purpose for yourself. But if you also say that we're saved by baptism alone, as if some magic ritual, some sacred rite that's performed by a priest, that baptism alone, as a baby without any consent, without any belief, that baptism alone is what puts you into the church, into the body of Christ, into a saving relationship with God, then you have also rejected God's purpose for yourself. My friends, it's not either or, but both and. Mark 16, verse 16 says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Matthew chapter 28 in the Great Commission claimed that baptism, baptism was the means by which disciples are made. Acts 2, verse 38 links repentance with salvation. Romans chapter 10 links confession with salvation. There are many parts to our salvation. Some of them we must do. We must confess. After all, Matthew chapter 10 says that if you will not confess my name before other people, then I will not confess your name before the Father. You cannot be saved without confession. So there are things that we must do, such as confession and repentance, but there are also things that God does to us. The sanctifying work, the cleansing work that happens in baptism. As Titus chapter 3 makes clear, baptism isn't a work that we do. Baptism isn't something that I do to earn salvation. Baptism is what God does to me in cleansing me. So taken as a whole, the gospel teaches salvation. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And yet I wonder... Are some people ashamed of some aspect of the gospel? Do people tuck away certain aspects of the gospel because it's not convenient or because it doesn't fit with their tradition or their preconceived ideas or the doctrines being taught by their denomination? Taken as a whole, the gospel teaches us that we must believe wholeheartedly in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Taken as a whole, the gospel teaches us that we must repent and be baptized to have our sins washed away, Acts 2 and verse 38. Taken as a whole, we understand that baptism and repentance are commandments. In Acts chapter 10 verse 48, baptism is spoken of as a commandment from Peter to Cornelius the Gentile. 
In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, we find out that baptism leads to the forgiveness of sins. That baptism is the way that we come into contact with the saving blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 6, verses 2 through 5. And rather than having faith alone be the thing that saves us, obedience is seen as the thing that leads to saving righteousness. That's Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 18. Maybe one of the things that we face in grappling with the idea of faith alone as a means to salvation is the difference in definitions that people sometimes use for the word faith. Our very use of the word becomes a matter of contention. So maybe it would help us to just ask, what is faith? At least, what is faith according to the Bible? So John 6 verse 47 tells us that he who believes has eternal life. Acts 15 verse 9 says, He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, it's argued sometimes from verses like this, as well as several others, that salvation happens at the moment that we believe in Jesus. But is there more to saving faith than just mental assent, just the idea of believing? Now, there are others who, who believed but weren't saved. great example of that is in John chapter 12, and here in verses 42 and 43. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Now, that's exactly what I said earlier from Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, that everyone who shall deny me before men, I'll deny him before my Father who is in heaven. If you're not willing to confess that you believe in Jesus, then that belief doesn't mean anything. That that belief is not a saving belief. So you have people here in John chapter 12 who did believe the witness of Jesus. They believed in what he said. They believed in his teaching. They believed in who he claimed to be. But because of the pressure that they felt from the Pharisees, they weren't willing to confess that belief. Now my question is, If faith alone saves us, and and we have to take it at face value, John 12 says, they believed. Now, you can insert your own commentary if you want to, but the verse says, plain and simply, they believed, but they weren't willing to confess. So, if faith alone, if belief alone saves us, then shouldn't their faith have been enough? Shouldn't the grace of God have been strong enough to cover their lack of devotion? Now, what about Peter, you might ask? Because even Peter denied Jesus at one point in a moment of weakness. And I'll say that's true. And I do wonder, what would God have done with Peter in that moment? If he had died, would he have been condemned? There are other times that Peter had moments of weakness, and Paul clearly stated that the apostle was condemned in Galatians 2 verse 11, because Peter was acting in a way that was prejudicial and exclusionary toward Gentile converts. Paul said, Peter stands condemned. He stands condemned, and that's a, that's a pretty harsh way of putting it. There are also demons who believe in Christ and they're willing to confess his power. In James chapter 2 and verse 19, the demons also believe, but their faith doesn't seem to help them. 
I suppose one might object, however, by saying that their faith was just mental assent and that they didn't demonstrate their faith with obedience. But wait, hold on. If that's your argument, that the demons who believed in James 2 verse 19, that the demons who believed weren't saved because they did not act on their belief, they didn't demonstrate their faith with works, then you must be conceding that faith alone doesn't save. Obedience is necessary for salvation too. And this is where the faith-only argument breaks down. Is it belief or is it something more? The demons believe, but they didn't obey and are thus condemned. So why does that not apply to human believers as well? Either it's belief alone or it's belief and works together that save. We've got to make up our minds. Now, what's even more interesting in our discussion of the definition of saving faith is to take into account the fact that faith is itself a work. John 6, verse 29, in Jesus' own words, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. This is the work? The work of God that you believe? One writer put it well in summing this up. Those who teach that men are not saved by any kind of works involve themselves in great difficulty. While objecting that man is saved by any kind of work, they teach that man is saved by faith only. And the Bible teaches that faith is a work, John 6:29. Faith is a work of God. They teach man is saved by faith only without any kind of work. So they deny that man is saved by that by which they say he is saved. So with our last few minutes today, I want to look at a couple of Bible passages that are often used as proof texts for the salvation by faith alone argument. First in Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Again, this is in the story of Cornelius, who was a Gentile who needed salvation. In spite of his good moral character, he had not yet been touched by the life of Christ. So, Peter the Apostle is told to go to Cornelius and his family and teach him the gospel. Now, in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, it says, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That when you believe in Jesus Christ in his name, you receive forgiveness of sins. And here it is argued that Cornelius was obviously saved prior to his water baptism in Acts chapter 10, verse 47, because the salvation seems to be instantaneous at the point of belief. But is this the be-all, end-all verses on forgiveness? Is this all that the Bible has to say about receiving forgiveness of sins. Now, this is what I meant earlier in our radio program when I said it's easy to take a single verse or a couple of verses and divorce them from the rest of what the Bible has to say on a subject. We have to be really careful about that and try to see what is the totality of the New Testament's teaching on a given subject, especially one as important as salvation. Let's ask ourselves, do we really want to be so myopic on something as essential as salvation that we would ignore what other passages say just so we can have our own belief, just so we can confirm a preconception, just so we can believe something that fits what we've always believed already or what our denominational doctrines are? So Acts 10 verse 43 says that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. But Acts 2.38 and Acts 22 verse 16 say 
that forgiveness of sins happens at the point of baptism and repentance in Acts 2 verse 38. Now, seeing that other verses talk about receiving forgiveness of sins, we need to conclude that believing in Acts 10 verse 43 includes believing all that Jesus taught concerning salvation. And Jesus himself said in Mark 16 verse 16 that he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. And when it says that two or three different things lead to the same result, we need to assume that they're connected. Now, if you're at point A and you're trying to get to point B and you punch in the address or the coordinates in your GPS or your phone, your phone is going to tell you a number of things, a number of different kinds of streets, a number of different avenues that you're going to take to get from point A to point B. Now, it might be very true that in order to get from point A to point B, you must take Interstate 10. So there is no problem in saying you're going to have to take the interstate to get to point B. But in order to get to the interstate, don't you first have to go down your driveway, leave your neighborhood, take an on-ramp onto the freeway, take an on-ramp off the freeway? You might have to go down Indian School Road for 2.7 miles. You might have to take a left on 27th Avenue. And so just because you say one thing, you take Interstate 10 to get from point A to point B, that is a true statement. But that's not the only thing that you need to do to get from point A to point B. You might also say, in order to get from point A to point B, you're going to have to go on Indian School Road for 2.7 miles. Now, again, that is a true statement, again, in this silly hypothetical situation, getting from point A to point B. So it is a true statement that you'll have to drive down Indian School Road for 2.7 miles. And it's also a true statement that you'll have to turn left on 27th Avenue. And all of those things by themselves are true statements. But in order to get from point A to point B, you have to look at the totality of the directions given to you. And you have to follow those directions in the most logical order as they're presented to you. And the Bible's the same way. If you just took Acts 2 verse 38 by itself, that repent and let each of you be baptized for the remission of your sins, you could very easily make the argument that belief is not necessary for salvation because Acts 2.38 doesn't say it. But you could go to Romans chapter 10 where it talks about believing and confession and you could say that belief and confession were the only things that you had to do to be saved. But you could also go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and say that love is more important than faith. So clearly, love might be the only thing you need to do to be saved. Now, those statements might be true in the sense that you must love in order to be saved, and you must believe in order to be saved, and you must repent, and you must confess, and you must be baptized. But it takes the totality of the directions to get you from point A to point B successfully. I mean, if we're going to be silly enough to isolate one verse by itself to point out this is what it means to be saved, you might as well go to Matthew 12 verse 37 that says, For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. So does that mean that I'm going to be justified by my words alone and not any of the heart behind them? Of course not. 
because that's not the only thing the New Testament says about salvation. Now, the same can be said of Acts 10, verse 44, or Acts chapter 15 and verse 9, or Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, or Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4. But let's try to look at the totality of it. Now, this radio program is part one of a two-part series I'm going to do on this subject. So let's look forward together to another study next Sunday on God's purpose for you in salvation. But before then, between now and then, if you have any questions, I'd love to sit down and study with you. Just let us know. Reach out to Montevista for any spiritual needs that you have. And my friends, as always, I hope that you have a blessed day. Thank you for joining us today. To hear this program again, please visit our website at montevistacoc.com. If you're in the Phoenix area, come visit us at the Montevista Church of Christ. We're located at 2202 North 40th Street. We have Bible classes for all ages each Sunday morning at 930 and again on Wednesday night at 7. For more information about the Montevista Church of Christ or to request a personal Bible study, please go to montevistacoc.com. Hallelujah.